This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Light Diffuse podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, March 19th, 2023. And I know it's been a while since shows, and this is totally not Drew's fault. I had to go out to California to do some work. In fact, we we had a lovely meeting on what was it? Uh, Saturday. Yeah, last Saturday. Yes, yeah. you know, the, the, and the highlight of the meal was I got the one thing on the menu at Bob's Big Boy that I thought would be helpful. I got the the vegetable quesadilla and took one bite of it, and it landed on the front of my shirt. <laughs> Which, by the way, I, I'm I'm on my third trip to the wash trying to get that stain out. You know. You were punished for it. I, I told I told Len that I was sorry I didn't get to see him when he was out here too, and I said that you and I mm-hmm. met at a diner, mm-hmm. you know, for a very intense hour or so, and I said it was basically like De Niro and Pacino meeting in heat. Oh. That was basically our. There we go. There we <laughs> before go. Before the big, you know, before the big robbery. But that yeah, where, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I love that movie. Aren't they doing? Yes. Aren't they doing a series or a prequel? Did, did, well, there there was a novel that was written that's excellent. That's um, right. That's right. That came out last summer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got to do something with it. It's just, it's too good not to. I mean, it's it's sort of continues the story and is also a flashback to before the events of the movie. It's really great. Okay. So if you are looking for something to read, look at Heat 2. Okay, I will chase that down. But, but of course, the day after that, March 12th, was, of course, the Academy Awards. And to the surprise of absolutely no one who's been paying attention to what's going on in the industry, Guillermo del Toro took home the Oscar for Best Animated Feature, and the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse took home the Academy Award for Best Animated Short. How did we feel about this, Drew? Well, I, I thought that there was a chance that Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, could pull through and win Best Picture. Yeah. But In the best of all possible worlds, I think Turning Red was a great movie. Puss in Boots was certainly a great film. And it, it would have been lovely for both of them to get some more professional recognition. But... How long had Guillermo had Pinocchio in the work? A decade or more, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you'll talk to people who said, oh, this was from the 2012 version <laughs> of the movie. Wow. And it's like, oh, my Lord, this has been worked on for so long. Yeah. Did you see, Jim, that like $500 version of the Insights uh, making of book that comes with a little maquette? Of Pinocchio. Somebody showed that on Twitter. I had to admit I had impure thoughts. But at the same time, I am overdrawn at the animation book bank. It, did, did I tell you about what I got myself for my 64th birthday? Uh, no, please, please uh, let me know. Okay. Stuart Inc., who, who has, you know, the wonderful bookstore in Torrance, but he also has an online presence. And Stuart put up that he had a copy 
of Bob Thomas's The Art of Animation. And now I know if, if, if you're an animation fan, you know of, you know, for example, there, there was what? The version they did for Beauty and the Beast. There was a version that they did for Hercules. I'm talking about the original one, Drew. This was done in 1958, ahead of the release of Sleeping Beauty. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of a piece of the true cross, at least as far as animation history is concerned. It's literally the first real Disney animation history book. And I have been chasing this thing for four decades. And so Stuart puts up a note. He's like, hey, I got a copy. So anyway, I'm holding myself back. I, you know, it's like, no, 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 you know, that's, you, you know you're going to be strong. You're not going to pay that much for a book. But anyway, it's last Sunday. And Alice and I are doing a combined daddy-daughter day for, for our combined birthday. So first we go to the Autry Museum of, of Western Heritage. By the way, that's a great take-in. Have you ever been? I haven't been. You know, I live very close to it, mm-hmm. but I never have... Um... Gone. You know, I'm obviously obsessed with it because it was one of the buildings that Imagineering built during that weird that is, period. And again, that's one of the reasons you got to go because the weird part of it is, I mean, it's, it's a lovely museum, but you go downstairs and this is wonderful enclosed outdoor courtyard that you know, you know instantly it's like, okay, that's WDI rock work. You work, you know, you're, you're suddenly looking at like Big Thunder, Splash Mountain, that level of, of detailing and artwork with the rock work. And like you, it's been on my list of things I've been meaning to get to during trips to LA. We go there. And then I ask us, well, what do you want for your birthday present? And it's like, well, you know, I could get some art books. So we, we drive over to Turrence and we walk into Stewart's store and Alice is perusing the shelf and I'm, I'm trying not to spend money. And, you know, in fact, I know you do this at, you know, whether you, when you go to a Barnes and Noble or that sort of thing, when you stand in the move making of aisle or the art of aisle yes. and literally do yes. the need it, need it, got it, need it, need it, you know, and it was like, I was really pleased. I was standing there in the, the art of section. It's like, oh, I don't have anything I need here. I can get out easy. And, but then Stuart walks up to me, we start chatting and I, and I ask, you don't still have that art of you know, the Bob Thomas book. And oh yes, he does. And he, he reaches up and he pulls it down and it's, it's in its plastic sleeve and, and drew it's beautiful. More to the point, it's got stories I've never heard before about Sleeping Beauty. There's a great section in this book where they talk about where Maleficent turns into the dragon. And then suddenly the sound guys are Disney. It's like, well, what does a dragon who breeds fire sound like? And so they actually reach out to the U.S. military and have them send training films for the soldiers working with flamethrowers. And it's just sort of like, okay, all right. So, so yeah, if a, a big gout of flame comes out of a dragon's mouth, that's what it kind of sounds like. Okay, we, we, we'll do that. Likewise, they talked about the whole backstory for, the, for Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather that get dropped. It's hiding in plain sight. Like, Flora was literally in charge of all of the plants and the trees and that sort of thing. And Fauna was in charge of all the cute little animals. And then Meriwether was literally in charge of the weather. And these were their powers as the good fairies. 
But that's the thing. This book is full of that sort of stuff that for some reason never got carried into the other official animated histories for Disney. And I'm just paging to the book and I realize, oh dear Lord, I gotta buy this damn thing. And so I basically paid for this book what I paid for my first car. Wow. But I have it. I, I now I have it. I don't say the number out loud around Nancy because she'll kill me. But I finally have this book. I love that. I, I think I the only one I have is like the Beauty and the Beast one. That's how late well, <laughs> the one I have is. Well, so. we'll tell you what. To give you some idea, again, this is still a book going into my library. So we're finishing the transaction. And Stuart literally goes to slip the book back into the, the plastic sleeve. And I'm like, no. You know, leave that here. This is going into a working library. Yes, yes. Uh, toward that end, tell you what, at some point, I'm going to throw this in a box to you. You have to read it. Because again, what's so great about this book is it's in real time. There's, there's one point in the, move, the, the, the book that Thomas turns to Walt and goes, well, how long has Sleeping Beauty been in development? And he's like, too long. You know, it's just, you, know you, you just get the sense from Walt. It's like, oh, God, just finish the stupid movie. I mean, they even talk, the first time ever, I've actually gotten confirmation on the fact that they stopped production of Sleeping Beauty so they could pull all the artists off of it to go work on Disneyland. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some amazing stories in here that, that are nowhere else. Anyway, folks, we have a, a lot of news to get to this week. And as always, the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. I guess the first thing we should talk about today, Drew, is something you've been telling me, you know, off air for quite some time now about Ruby Kraken. Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Sorry, That's, sorry, sorry. Yes. Okay, I'm using the abbreviated title. But but yeah, yes. I mean, we are what, three months out? Yeah, June 30th, I believe is the release date. It's just, it was very funny that they announced the movie and announced the cast and there was a trailer and there was a poster mm. all in like a couple of hours uh, the other morning. Yeah. Pretty interesting approach. This thing looks great. I agree. Which puzzles me that why has this been under wraps so tightly for so long? I don't know. Something tells me that it maybe had something to do with the Oscars. Like they just really needed to focus on Puss um. through March and then they could focus on Ruby uh, Gilman. Mm. Because if you'll notice, the trailer, I think, came out, what, on Thursday morning or something? And it was it's so like literally three days after the Oscars. But you're right. I think it has a great look. It's got this kind of like... Lisa Frank, you know, oh, yeah. trapper keeper type. Very uh, much aesthetic. so. Very much so. Yeah. If somebody said to me, Jane Fonda as a voice for animation, remember she she also just did the head of the 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 world of luck for for John Lasseter's luck. Yep. But I, I wouldn't have thought of her as a a great voice for animation. But you know, she's all over this trailer. Is sort of the the grandma Kraken and 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 really a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. I think her narration kind of like carries. If you haven't seen the trailer, mm -hmm. check it out. But her narration kind of guides the whole mm -hmm. thing. And it, from the statement she released, she sounded really excited to be a part of the project. And uh, 
Yeah, it was directed by uh, Kirk D'Amico, who mm. we've had on the show before yeah. for Vivo. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and the original Croods with with Chris Sanders, and I love how this looks. And and you gotta admire just kind of the sheer balls of DreamWorks bringing this out just weeks after the you know the live action Little Mermaid is going to hit, where basically the villain of this film appears to be a riff on Ariel. I kind of like how the planets aligned there, you know. Yeah, we always love a good scary mermaid. <laughs> um, this is true, and this looks like it's that kind of thing. Okay. So, all right. Now, now speaking of oddly timed stories, we had news just this past week that Swampy Marsh. Well, first of all, we had the story three months ago almost of the uh, revival of Phineas and Ferb, 40 new episodes, uh, two seasons of the show coming to Disney Plus and I, I guess also being repurposed for, for Disney Channel at some point. But we did have, I think we mentioned this on uh, a recent show, there was the the image of, of Dan Povenmire and Swampy uh, with instruments, something to the effect of getting the band back together. Wasn't that on Dan's instagram or something it wasn't an official image right no it was not yeah it was not and i'm kind of intrigued why this took so long to announce i mean wasn't swampy supposedly working on his own project for disney animation much like hamster and gretel dan oh god hamster hamster and gretel yeah um yeah i think he was i mean yeah i think the assumption was that he would be back as a voice Mm -hmm. at the very least Mm -hmm. but this announcement was supposed to happen like more than 10 days before it actually did. And I don't really know what the holdup was about. There must be some like some intense wrangling because how they announced that and he had a very specific photo that everybody had to use. And I I don't know. I don't know what happened. If any, any listeners have any insight, please let us know. Okay. Um, okay. Obviously, we're very happy that they're back together. No, 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 no absolutely. It, but, I, I, I yeah. love both of these guys, but it just it just kind of intriguing that it it took this long to sort of seal the deal, so to speak. And speaking of things taking a while, it was two years ago now that Fox announced that it was developing Bedrock, which was supposed to be this primetime adult animated Flintstones reboot, which uh, Elizabeth Banks was was the executive producer of the thing, and obviously she's she's having a moment, what with Cocaine Bear, which, by the way, you, you, you saw Cocaine Bear, yes? Oh, yeah, I saw it, like, I saw it months ago, um, but I just bought it on digital because I need to show my wife. Have you watched it yet? It's so fun. <laughs> I know Cocaine Bear from its original iteration uh, where it was a story that Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark shared on My Favorite Murder. As out there as Cocaine Bear the movie is, Drew, you have to check out the Cocaine Bear in real life story. It is Well, you know I can't handle the real life story, Jim, because the we should say this, the bear didn't make it after consuming that much cocaine. This is um, true. This is true. But, I, but he, Jim was on writer's rooms in the 70s. <laughs> and so probably, Jim, you might have you might have been in the room with the cocaine bear once or twice. I, I, on, um, on advice of counsel, 
I think we're going to change the subject here. But no, I, I, I will chase that down. I even enjoyed the cocaine bear gags in the uh, you know, the, the Academy Awards. Speaking of which, yeah. what did you think of this year's ceremony? You know, Overall, what, how did they do? I thought it was nice. It was a nice kind of celebration of movies. It was in stark contrast to last year's where everybody seemed kind of ashamed by the movies, including the animated feature presentation. So I, w- I was very happy that everybody, w- it was just kind of a nice ceremony. Mm-hmm. You know, there weren't any, uh, there weren't a lot of ruffled feathers. It was just sort of classy and seemed yeah. to move along pretty quickly. But now, what, what did you think? I saw that there were issues, uh, but face it, there are always issues when it comes to the in memoriam thing. Though I, I have to admit, as a longtime Paul Soverino fan, that, that that seemed to be, you know, it's like, really? I mean, we're just talking about Pacino, Scorsese, you know, that world. And it just sort of like, you can't leave that out. But what they did with that, Bernie Mattinson did make the real, right? I think he did. You know who I was, you know, very happy they included was was Ralph. Uh, oh, Ralph Eggleston. Yeah. That really, I, I saw that and I remembered he was gone yeah. and I was very sad about that. Um, Toward that end, uh, when we get back from this break, Jordan and I are going to talk about the, the Disney legend, Bernie Mattinson, who we, we lost recently. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get to the sad stuff, you had mentioned, Drew, that we should talk about the uh, the Little Mermaid trailer uh, that just dropped. Is this the teaser or is this the trailer? No, trailer? This is the full length. Full this length. is the full length trailer. Okay. Yeah. So it just amazes me what people say about this because I, I see a movie I actually want to see. But, but I, I think you and I felt that way from what we saw at the D23 Expo last September. Yeah, I, I think it looks fun. I mean, I'm very excited about the Lin Manuel mm-hmm. songs. Yep, it was it was pretty weird to have a commercial just being presented on the Oscars, especially because I was on Slack with people who were actually in the ceremony, and they're going, "We're watching a presentation about diversity in the Oscars, and everybody else is watching a commercial for Little Mermaid." This is very odd. Uh, so, well, yeah. it's a Disney company. They they do what they do. Yes. Toward that end, you went down to Disneyland, right? For the the opening of the Really For Real, a full-size Mickey's Toontown, right? Yeah, I was really impressed. Um, You will see reporting from me Mm -hmm. later this week, maybe? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And I should really talk to Jim Mm -hmm. Shul about it, too, since he was there for 1.0. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I was very impressed. You know, I thought it looked really good. Mm. Um, I know people are making fun of that tree online, which Mm. did not even cross my mind to think about concept art from 18 months ago. But um, (laughs) (laughs) shocker. But, uh, no, everything looked really good. It's a really inclusive Mm -hmm. land. You know, there are no curbs. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of sort of sensory things. Mm -hmm. And there also, you know, there's this – it's very interesting sort of across from – from Chippendale's coaster, mm-hmm. gadget coaster, I think is what it's called. Yep. 
Now, uh, there is sort of this dark enclave. Hmm. And it's like, what is that? And it's actually a spot where you're supposed to go mm-hmm. and kind of decompress and shed the external excitement of the land. And obviously they had kids with uh, special needs or mm-hmm. kids that need that kind of uh, quiet uh, with their experience. And I thought that was really interesting. When I went to Legoland, Florida last year, they were among the very first theme parks in the country that had been autism certified. I mean, the notion was yes. you could literally walk up to an attraction and there was a sign to the effect of, okay, this is the noise level. This is the, you know, that, that if you have a child that has these sorts of sensitivities, this is what you you need to be aware of going in. But the very thing you're talking about is now a sort of a go-to thing with theme park design, the notion that, all children should be able to enjoy these parks, but a kid with autism might need a place to go to sort of regroup for a moment. And the fact that these are being included as part of design, I mean, I really applaud the themed entertainment professionals who are, are finding ways to, to fit these in. Well, that's cool to hear that's there. Yeah, if you look at the fountain that everybody was taking pictures of, which I think is a beautiful mm-hmm. sort of centerpiece to the, the land, mm-hmm. but there's the fountain, main fountain, and then there are sort of smaller fountains around it mm-hmm. at you know the height of a child mm-hmm. so that they can actually splash and touch the water and you know that they're not afraid of that kind of interactivity and I thought it was just really interesting yeah they, they were sort of trumpeting it as the most accessible theme park land they've ever designed really mm-hmm. and I thought that was super interesting because you know after I got home yesterday of course I was watching mm-hmm. hours and hours of, of promo stuff from from 93 and all it was was just like check out how wacky this is and so to have this kind of mind frame was really interesting as a point of comparison i don't think i was there for the the press day but i was there for opening day of toontown in 93 and i I still remember the jolly trolley kind of teetering around there we go there we go crushing toddlers left and right it just gonna just never that one was never gonna make it so the important thing, Jim, is that they left up the unused second story of Roger Rabbit, so we can all still <sighs> look up there and say, yeah. oh, that's where it was supposed to go. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, I have stories. We'll, we'll share them later. Okay, okay. Before I forget, uh, talking about Toontown and you know Mickey and the origin of the company and all that, happy bit of news coming out of Missouri. The Thank You Walt Disney, Inc., uh, these are the folks who have been trying to preserve the the earliest part of, of Walt Studios. And, and when we say that, I mean, we're talking about the original Laugh-O-Gram Studios in Kansas City a hundred years ago. In 1922 was when this was going on. And they just got a $2 million grant to... You know, I mean, they've been preserving the building that Laugh-O-Gram Studio was in, but they, they've gotten a $2 million grant from the state to continue working. So I'm actually... That's really... Yeah, that's good news. I, you, you've probably been reached out to the same people as I have where they say, like, nobody... Know, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a hard project for the last few years, and you just bringing this up reminded me of, like, all this stuff that was going on with it, but... 
Yeah. I'm very excited. So what are the, do they have plans for it, Jim? What is the Well, I, of- again, the notion has always been, you know, I mean, face it, it's an early part of the you know, Walt's career and we're talking with the laughograms, we're talking about, you know, like his version of Puss in Boots and that sort of thing. You know, the the early lesser Disney. So it's always been about early history of the company, educational outreach, that sort of thing. So this is going to help not only with uh, preservation of the building, but also with educational programs and outreach and hopefully raising the profile. So it's good news for the, the thank you Walt Disney people who, who, as you mentioned, it's been a tough couple of years, you know, particularly with the pandemic to keep this project in the spotlight. So it's, it's nice that it happened. Yeah, I think there was some question about ownership at some point there, and there was there we, was uh, you know so but but again you know hopefully that's all in the review at, at this point so yes okay cool that's great news that is that is okay now uh as we mentioned earlier in the show we lost disney legend bernie mattinson uh back in fact this was monday february 27th 87 years old and the longest serving cast member in the history of the Walt Disney Company. In fact, there were plans already in the works, Drew, for his 70th anniversary service award. It was it was going to be presented to him on June 4th. Yeah, I saw that. I, I want to know what the statue was going to be. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. You know, like who... Yeah, who's yeah. 70? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> you know. Captain Hook? I don't, I don't know. Okay. It is. Yeah. Uh, all right, but... Carl from <laughs> Up? I don't know. Yeah. So in your time... At the company, you know, the, you know, again, you're working on my Disney and all the other parts of the company you worked at. You you ran into to, to Bernie a number of times. I mean, you know, that and also as a working reporter, I, I think we, we were pre-gaming. You were talking yeah, about yeah. a Jungle Book press event, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, whenever there would be a home video release or something, it would be like, all right. Let's get him out here. You know, it's like uh, Floyd was another one that they always trot out you know, for these true. anniversaries. This is true. But, yeah, he's amazing. I mean, what is so astounding about him is, is you're right, how long he was working. I mean, I know that we've told the story about how the dog in Strange World was based, was named after Bernie mm-hmm. because director Don Hall would call him Legend. Mm-hmm. And that's what they call the dog, Legend. So... <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I think I didn't realize that he was actually working on Strange World, though, too, like in the story department or something. So yeah. this guy just never stopped. Well, it, it's just amazing. I mean, I think about it. A, a career that starts at Disney with Lady and the Tramp. And what's important about Bernie is that at a time when things were really, really dark and really, really bleak and you know, animation was just hanging on by a string. You know, this is the guy who directed, you know, the first Mickey Mouse thing in, in decades, the, 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 the Mickey's Christmas Carol. And then, uh, you know, is, is the co-director of, I would argue, the film that actually starts the second golden age of Disney animation, which is The Great Mouse Detective. No, no argument here, Jim. Yeah, I mean, it, I love that movie. It, no, it, yeah. it, 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 it's it, you know, the interesting thing is if you watch it today, animation in, in some parts of it is pretty shaky. There's there's some interesting choices, but the story is so strong that you're invested. You you hang in there. In fact, we were just talking about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, and I love that in that attraction. 
they do make a point of you know acknowledging uh you know in the that wonderful cue which covers you know mickey's full career it's like you gotta have mickey's christmas carol and they have the the bag of toys and i forget what else they've got there but you know it was just i was recording a show with jim shul earlier today and he was talking about that you know one of the reasons that when you work in an imagineering he came in in 88 you sought out the people like Claude Coates or Rolly Crump because you were looking for tribal knowledge. You know, the people who'd been there a long time who knew, okay, we do this, but we don't do that. Well, on the animation side of the events, that's what Bernie Mattinson was. Have you ever talked with, with Steven Anderson about working on uh, when they did the Winnie the Pooh feature in 2011, how Bernie, because he'd worked on the earlier Poohs, was you know somebody they they really consulted to the effect of. Right. I remember talking with Stephen about the Winnie the Pooh feature and how does it you know asked him flat out how does it feel to succeed where Walt Disney failed and he kind of got big eyed at me. Well, what do you mean? It's like well Walt Disney tried to do a Winnie the Pooh feature and couldn't figure it out. And he's like, geez, I didn't think about that. Maybe we shouldn't have done this. So you can draw your own conclusion there, folks. But no, I mean, it just, but the fact that Bernie was there and when they were facing down story problems or the like, you know, that he was a guy you could go to and it's like, okay, we're dealing with this issue. And it's like, well, okay, on, you know, 101 Dalmatians, we say we face the same issue and this was our workaround or just when you think about the second generation, uh, you know, the second golden age of animated films and the fact that he was there when Disney was doing Lion King and Pocahontas and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and all those. And, you know, that he was in the building for creative continuity. Well, we have to, you know, people don't talk about how disagreeable mm -hmm. the, those older animators became in the 80s mm. with this new group that came in. And... Bernie was never like that. He was always uh, just such a great, you know, source of, like you said, like, you know, an amazing reference it for was. people who was. were coming in the door. But also, you know, it's like there's this article I always refer to in the mm -hmm. New York Times with like, you know, them kind of bad mouthing Don Bluth mm -hmm. and, and, and other young animators around the time of the, the Black Cauldron. And it's mm -hmm. just like you never got that from Bernie no, ever no. and it's just uh, a testament to just what a great guy he was and, and someone who was really invested in the next generation of storytellers and trying to help them as much as he could yeah. you know it wasn't like a there was no territorial uh, nonsense with him no absolutely and in fact it, it, it's so interesting you bring that up because it that if you you know were following Twitter or Instagram in, in the days afterwards to see this generation of you know people who do story, I mean like you know Paul Briggs, you know acknowledging you know or, or Hiram Osmond, who they lost and how important Bernie was to them and the sort of guy who was generous and would share and and yeah, I mean that's you know it, you bring up an interesting point. Disney does tend to to step over that issue don't they that that the nine old men there should be another word in the middle there you know to, to be nine old yeah, yeah. Grumpy, grumpy old men 
Yes, yes. But you know that the, the fact that the, there were the Bernies who could be gracious and generous and, and that sort of thing. And uh, by the way, it, I was lucky enough to sit down with Dorothy McKim, veteran Disney producer. She's been touring the country with that Disney animation immersive experience thing. And she was talking, she now works for the Disney, uh, the legacy department of Walt Disney Feature Animation. And it's sad to lose a Bernie Mattinson, but it's important to note that in the Disney legacy animation, uh, the legacy department of Walt Disney Feature Animation, we still have Eric Goldberg, Mark Henn, and Randy Haycock working on projects. But it's also worth noting that just last year, Disney hired, and, and mind you, they put out word that they were looking for new hand-drawn animators, and they got thousands of portfolios. And I want to say they interviewed 200 candidates out of those thousand portfolios and hired five new people. And I know five isn't a lot, but, you know, but, but the fact that this is Disney actually investing in hand-drawn, that's a great sign. And let's be happy, you know, that they're doing that. And more to the point that we lived in a time when there was a Bernie Mattinson. So, you know, it's just nice to have. So, okay, folks. So I, that, I apologize. This is going to be a, a shortest show this week. And that, that's largely because Drew is crazy busy. And as you can hear, I'm getting over a cold and we won't talk about my... I think I'm getting into your cold as you're coming out of the cold. There we so, go. Yeah. All right. So it's... it's, it's yeah. it, All right. Well, I'll, I'll ship the iron along out to you along with the Bob Thomas book. So you'll, you'll have something to, yeah, to read there, you know, is it on your sick bed. <laughs> By the way, if you're on your sick bed and looking for something to, to entertain you, seriously, if you're not listening to Drew's Light the Fuse podcast, folks, you are missing out on some amazing stories. I mean, Drew along with his equally talented co-host, Charles Hood. Uh, they take you behind the scenes on everything. Circling back to the Academy Awards here, you had to at least be happy with... They took home the editing award, right? Uh, no, they took home oh, sound. Oh, sound, sound. There we go. Uh, editing was one was the one that was really the one that I was rooting for, but mm. they did not get sadly. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I was I was very happy. Mm-hmm. And if you want to listen to uh, some stories from mm-hmm. James Mather, who is now the newly minted Oscar winner from Top Gun Maverick, mm-hmm. uh, you can listen to that on the show. We ha- we just had him on. Oh well, there we go. Like it was a plan. Okay. Yes. Cool. 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 By the way, we, we also have some other podcasts here you might enjoy listening to. We, of course, have uh, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa, though this week I have a guest host that I think people will enjoy. We also have uh, Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits the podcast here, and the poor guy's got a lot of work ahead of him this week. Brian Gaughan and I will be recording a new Looking at Lucasfilm sometime in the coming week. And uh, Drew, as always, great fun to, to follow you on social media. Tell the nice folks where they can find you these days. You can find me at Drew Tailored on Instagram and Twitter, although Twitter is becoming borderline unusable these days. I I don't know what is going on, but it is it is rough. Uh-huh. But I'm still there, okay. so follow me. Same thing here. Yeah. I, I am also on Twitter. I'll likewise, Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And I think that will do it for this week, folks. So thank you for so much for listening, and Mr. Taylor and I will be back soon.